You're listening to Lozano Smith's podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions that affect public agencies. Hi, I'm Josh Whiteside, an associate at Lozano Smith, and with me is... I'm Lee Burdick. I'm a senior counsel with Lozano Smith. My practice area specializes in uh, local government, public agencies, cities, and counties. And my specialty is dealing with student issues, uh, special education, labor and employment at schools. And Lee, today we're going to be talking about a pretty interesting topic that's a really unique crossover uh, with our practice areas. Not often do we get to talk about local government and schools in the same breath on a particular issue. But today we're going to be talking about something that was signed by the governor last year, uh, a particular uh, bill, Senate Bill 179, known as the Gender Recognition Act, which adds a new third gender option for most official documents in California. it's pretty fascinating. It really is. And I think before you get into any kind of an in-depth discussion on that law or any of the ones that preceded it, it's important that we all be on the same page with regard to some terms. Uh, one, of course, is gender identity. What, what do we mean? What did the law mean when it talked about gender identity? Gender identity is how individuals perceive themselves and what they call themselves. It's a very internal thing. Uh, The gender identity for a person can be either the same or different than their assigned sex at birth. In other words, I, I was born female, I gender identify as female, so my gender identity is the same as was shown on my birth certificate. And that's kind of where we get that term transgender, right, when those two are different, right? The sex assigned at birth is different than what you feel now um, as kind of part of your innermost self uh, identify. Transgender I think goes more to what your gender identity and how it compares uh, with the cultural expectations based on your assigned sex. And transgender can also incorporate your gender expression, not just your gender identity, which brings me to the definition of gender expression. Mm -hmm. That is the external appearance expressed through an individual's behavior, their clothing, their haircut, their voice, uh, their expression, which may or may not be typically associated with masculine or feminine. Right. You've got you've got kids now like uh, Jaden Smith, Will Smith's uh, son, who uh, wears long dreadlocks, can be male or female and skirts, which are typically female. But when you get someone who's expressing themselves in a mixed way, uh, it doesn't it, it it is an aspect of their their gender expression. And it doesn't have to be either or it doesn't have to be male or female. So when we talk about transgender, that that gender expression can also be an element of transgender identification, uh, not just their gender identity. So gender identity is is looking at the internal, kind of the innermost self, 
gender expression is kind of how you outwardly appear to exactly. others. It's probably a good recap of the, those terms, right? Exactly, exactly. And then I think another one, though the bill doesn't talk about this a whole lot, is sexual orientation. How does that differ from gender identity, gender expression? And, and sexual orientation is generally thought of as an inherent or immutable, enduring uh, attraction, emotional, romantic, or sexual attraction to other people. So it's that one thing that remains constant. While your gender identity might change or your gender expression might change, your sexual orientation tends to be pretty consistent over time. Who are you attracted to physically, romantically, uh, uh, or, uh, or sexually, emotionally? Okay, so uh, in looking at this bill, uh, governor and the legislature seem to have come up with a, a new term that's not something that we've talked about, um, but probably connects with some of the same concepts. So non-binary, um, is an umbrella term for people with gender identities that fall somewhere outside of the traditional conceptions of female or male. So it's it's kind of the similar idea uh, about transgender, but non-binary is a little bit broader. It, does, it doesn't just apply to transgender individuals. It also applies to others who might define themselves as gender fluid or gender non-conforming, kind of going back and forth between male and female identities um, over time, either by days, hours, months, years, however they transition. I, I agree, Josh. And, and the way I like to look at it is um, people can perceive themselves as male or female, which is the binary concept, one or other, or they can think of themselves as both male and female or neither. I, I don't think people have put a lot of thought to the idea that someone could uh, perceive themselves as asexual, having neither male, being neither male or female, which is also a non-binary designation. Kind of an agender, in a sense. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Asexual, agender, yes. Okay. Um, so in talking about SB 179, the, the in, moving away, away from the dictionary, um, the actual bill itself talks about how they're going to add this non-binary gender option for state driver's licenses, identification cards, and birth certificates. And the interesting thing about this is that previously you had to have some sort of medical documentation or some sort of evidence that you were going through a transition surgically or medically to petition the court to allow you to change your gender to a different one than that which was assigned at birth. Um, now there's this other option. There's this non-binary option, which we talked about is for a gender identity that's either in flux or something that is just different than what was assigned at birth. And now there's no medical evidence required um, starting September 1st, 2018. And additionally, uh, minors can actually petition the court to request a gender change on their birth certificate. They only need actually just one parent's support. Um, if there's another parent or guardian that does not support the decision, it just simply defers to the court, to the judge, to decide whether or not the gender change is in the best interest of the student, of the, of the kid. Um, 
And so that's going to bring up a lot of issues for schools and even for public, for other public agencies, right? Because we're going to be dealing with requests, new documentation that's going to have this non-binary designation. And so when students are enrolling in class, they're going to show up to school uh, with their parents and it's going to have this non-binary designation. It's true, Josh. You, the, the implications, the legal effects of SB 179 don't stop just at the state level. When the state recognizes a non-binary sexual identity, that flows down into everything every public agency does. Uh, so forms are going to have to be revised mm -hmm. to show male, female, non-binary. Uh, uh, processes are going to have to take that into account. Uh, one process will be in interviews and on job applications that, that you, you won't be able to comment as an employer on that identification any more than you would if they were male or female designated gender identity. Uh, with respect to public agency employers, uh, SB 179 follows on another bill that was passed last year called uh, Senate Bill 396, which expanded the employer's obligation to do a, a specific sex harassment training. And, and by employer in that case, I'm talking about employers that have 50 or more employees, which applies to most government agencies, except for very small cities. They're required to train managers and supervisors every two years on sex harassment. Uh, a couple years ago, that was expanded to include uh, 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 gender expression, gender uh, uh, or sexual orientation. Now it also includes gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation. The, that sex harassment training has been broadened. Um, and so that is a, an important uh, impact on local agencies in order to increase sensitivity to people who choose to designate themselves or identify as non-binary. And schools will likely have to be more inclusive of this idea as well. Typically with transgender students, as most in the school world know, there's Assembly Bill 1266, which uh, says that students must be allowed to participate in school programs and activities consistent with their gender identity. And for most people, there's been a distinction between unofficial documents, kind of the report cards that go home or work or school assignments versus official documents. So the things that are your transcript, your things that are kept at the district office as a student record, kind of under lock and key, not released to anyone without consent or some other exception. And so for those official documents, um, part of that includes the data that's reported to CDE. Um, for those documents, those will now have to be changed because there'll be a new birth certificate on file. And so previously when the transgender student would be at school, we would, we would advise schools to just keep the official documents to be consistent with the sex that was assigned at birth. Well now, because the birth certificate can change, that advice is likely gonna to have to change and be modified. And related to that, 
IPs, 504 plans, report cards, transcripts. Those, of course, will also just need to be updated to include potentially an, an option for this non-binary gender. Okay, option. Josh. Now, we love to talk in our acronyms. Just so our listeners know, what do you mean by IEP? IEP, Individualized Education Plan for Special Education Students. Um, same thing with 504 plans, Section 504 um, federal law dealing with uh, students with disabilities but aren't necessarily at the level that they need an IEP, an Individualized Education Plan. Okay. Yeah. So I think one of the challenges for our school district clients is that they are always dealing kind of with a microcosm of what's going on in society that everything that happens in society we have to deal with around our kids and what parents want their kids to be taught and how they want their kids to be uh, managed and educated. This non-binary new classification or gender identity, recognized gender identity, is, uh, is going to present some challenges. You know, one of the questions that has been raised, particularly with respect to transgender students, and I think it'll extend to non-binary identified students, is uh, do we need to build new non-binary bathrooms? What do you think about that? Well, it's a good question, and I think it's something that no one's really talking about or thinking about, the implications of this new law. Um, what is it going to require of school districts? This law was not really on any school's radar. Um, it doesn't seem to have been part of the legislature's analysis about how this might financially impact schools or how it might otherwise impact schools and its culture and the communication with parents and with students and kind of the, you're going to get different examples of how this is going to play out probably on the coast versus in the valley or in other parts of the state and different reactions from the community. But the schools must be consistent, right, across the state. Um, We have to follow California law. And so for this, there um, is already a requirement to turn single stall restrooms into gender neutral bathrooms. So I I would presume and assume that most of non-binary students would be able to use the bathroom that they're most comfortable with and that that would probably rule the day. And as long as it's a sincerely held belief that they are non-binary, whether that means they're transgender or gender fluid or gender non-conforming or whatever, um, however they feel, however they innermost feel, whichever bathroom they're most comfortable with, that's probably where they're going to go, whether it is the men's, the boys' restroom, the girls' restroom, or the gender-neutral restroom. I think, uh, and I'm interested to know if you agree or not, Uh, I think one of the greatest challenges of dealing with this in the school is not the students at all. The students seem to be perfectly comfortable, for the most part, there are certainly exceptions, with the idea of gender fluidity, non-binary students, and they're very accommodating and tolerant of their fellow students who identify that way. It's really the parents and some teachers and administrators who find themselves uncomfortable with these cultural shifts that are happening generally in society and more specifically in our schools. What do you think? I agree. And I think it's a challenge for a lot of administrators and a lot of parents and a lot of community members to grapple 
with this issue. It's unfamiliar, it's foreign, it's something that they never had to deal with, um, or at least they didn't realize that they were dealing with it. Um, and so it's something that they, you know, are being challenged with. And I think in light of the discrepancy right now between where the federal government is on these issues versus California, which have vastly different opinions at the moment about these transgender, non-binary, gender non-conforming issues, it can lead to very quick and very adamant uh, disagreements um, with community members, very political disagreements. And so that can be an issue for boards and superintendents and other staff to deal with. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we're in California. And if you're a California school district, you have to abide by AB 1266. And now you have to abide by SB 179. And together, uh, that calls for school districts to address this issue in an appropriate manner, um, allowing the students to use the bathroom that they sincerely believe that their innermost self identifies with. Now, if there's concerns about privacy, student privacy of the other students, they can have the option, they can be given the option of using a separate gender neutral restroom or a separate bathroom that's maybe more isolated away from other students. Um, and there might be other concerns about student privacy in locker rooms and the like and that sort of thing. But in California, the prerogative is very clear um, that the rights of transgender students and non-binary students supersedes those privacy interests of other non-transgender, non-non-binary students. I agree wholeheartedly with you, Josh. If you have any questions about this topic, please contact the hosts of this episode or an attorney at any one of our eight offices throughout California. For details on how to get a hold of us, visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com/podcast.